welcome to season two of Army of Crime. Your favorite comic book and movie podcast has returned. Uh, we originally were going to come back in a mere six months. And of course, all kinds of stuff happened. Um, I changed jobs. I moved. My wife gave birth to our second child. There was, you know, all the 2020 stuff happened. Uh, the pandemic, the fascist coup attempt against the U.S. government, all kinds of stuff. But we are back. So for second season, we are focusing on the modern age of comics. We look at uh, the the things you would expect for a modern age of comics. So like Frank Miller, Alan Moore. Uh, we also look at um, Akira. We look at, you know, Usagi Yojimbo, Batman, a little bit of everything uh, from the modern age of comics. And I hope you take that journey with us. We have returned for season two and we're going to start pumping out regular episodes now. The people demanded that we return and you've been sitting there patiently waiting with nothing to listen to. So as the, you know, there's just not, there's not enough podcast episodes out there, right? You, you needed more, the people demanded more podcast content and we are here to deliver. To Army of Crime, the internet's only podcast. I am Dustin, and I'm here with my co-host Matt. Hello, internet. And on this episode, we are going to discuss. Let me see if I get this right. I have it here. It's called The Watchman. Um, this is a comic book from the '80s, I guess. It's, Matt, it's, what, a, what? it's obscure. Yes, it's a. You're gonna have to uh, type that into Wikipedia to see if it looks familiar or not. Since most people haven't heard of this, Matt, can you give us a brief rundown of what The Watchmen is? Uh, yes, w Watchmen is a 12-issue a comic series uh, published starting in 1986, written by a fellow named Alan Moore, who I suspect has a prosperous career ahead of him based on this uh, series, and drawn by David Givens and with colors by John Higgins. Fascinating. It made, as, I, as I understand it, it made something of a splash in the industry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's about watches? Uh, yes, it's about men who use watches. Okay. Is it just watches or like other timepieces as well? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the Power Rangers, but like they use watches. Oh, fun. Yeah. You and I had both read Watchmen uh, several times before. Obviously, as many people have read it. So, but you wanted to read it again. And I'm told that you have a take on Watchmen. And I do not know what this take is. So, and people listening to this are most likely familiar with this particular comic book. But Matt, can you please enlighten us? And now maybe I've built it up too much. What is your well, scorching yeah, hot surface so let me... of the sun Watchmen take? Well, okay, so it's. I feel like it's. A, we'll get to my take, um, and the, I'll talk a little bit about why I decided to do Watchmen because a lot of things, you know, on, on our on this on our humble podcast, you know, we we do try and I think we try and stay away from like kind of the the big ticket items. There's a lot of ink spilled, you know, about Watchmen. So like, wh why we talk about Watchmen? You know, I was thinking about this because DC um, put out a sequel to it called Doomsday Clock, which we don't really have to go into, but. 
and there's like a TV show now. Um, I believe there's also a video game. I mean, they it, it keeps being mined for more material. Like and let's say prequel, that, right? Prequel yeah. comic books. Right. There was like prequel comics. It keeps being mined for more material, um, and it keeps being like printed. And it has this weird, like this weird cultural space where it's like the quote unquote good comic book or something. Like like they it's the comic book that people who don't read comic books put on lists next to like books without pictures in them kind of thing. So it's this kind of weird, like little uh, object in like pop culture. Would you, would you agree with my, my assessment so far, which is kind of why I was thinking about it. Yeah. I believe it's the only comic book on the time 100 best English language novels list. And it also won the Hugo award which I don't believe is normally given to comic books as well. So it's one of the rare comic books that at least in like English language, popular culture kind of like broke into the mainstream. Yeah. So and that gonna, people and who maybe don't regularly read comic books might pick it up just to see what, what the, the big deal is. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about that and I was thinking about the fact um, that I've seen people you know, I, I sometimes out of curiosity, I was reading through after I had read Doomsday Clock, which again, we won't we won't go into Doomsday Clock. Oh, you did read Doomsday Clock? I, I have I have read it. I got it from the library, but I did read Doomsday Clock. We won't we won't go into Doomsday Clock, like I said, um, but I was thinking about that and I was reading about like I was kind of like one uh, one day, like just perusing uh, reviews of Watchmen. And I was kind of curious. And I remember that the first time I read it, I actually didn't really like it. Um, I was kind of like, eh, I don't get it, whatever. Um, and, you know, the overwhelming consensus is probably still positive. But there's a lot of people I've seen reviews that are like, Watchmen is good. And I say this, you know, the person will be like, comic books are all stupid, but Watchmen is good. Or they'll be like, this is the best comic because most comics are stupid or something, some variation on that, which I don't think is a good take on it. Uh, and there's also a lot of people who be like, this is overrated and lame and no one should care about it. Or like the art is stupid and gross or whatever. And I think because it has this weird cultural space, like people don't let like it gets talked about, like the way Citizen Kane or something is talked about where it's like, you know, you see the name everywhere. And like, I think a lot of people probably don't really know what to make of it. So I had the idea of like, well, I'm going to give it a reread and kind of see see what I think about it. And I'll just jump, you know, part of the conclusion here is, yes, it is actually very good. So we're not going to give you, you know, the Watchmen is actually overrated and stupid. I, I agree. Watchmen is good. Yeah. So not not busting out the, um, you know, the controversy on that, because obviously a lot of people really like it. I don't think it's fair to say that it's like this thing of like comic books in general are dumb. And Watchmen is like this like singular thing that exists in a desert of crud i mean that's obviously dumb right but i think anybody but, who would say that is someone who just has not read that many comics right right so so watchman is good watchman does work there's a lot of really good things about it obviously i mean we don't have to go into like a lot of it because there's a lot of ink spilled on it but like one of the things that i really think is interesting having read it again and this kind of leads me into my into the other thing i wanted to talk about but I think one of the things that makes it so good uh, is the characterization, right? Like the, like just the characters, like the characterization of of the the main characters, which is a thing that you can't really duplicate with like sequels and prequels and video games. 
and it's interesting to me that Alan Moore is like this like really left wing anarchist guy who in fact did an incredibly good take on Rorschach, which is like a stand in for this objectivist far right, like Steve Ditko question, Mr. A character. And it's interesting to me that, that he's a skilled enough writer to do like a really good characterization of that in a way that is both still very right wing, but manages to also be like sympathetic and interesting. Yeah. I mean, Rorschach is a sympathetic character, but let's, I mean, also like, Alan Moore attributes Rorschach's character as being born from a long history of abuse and trauma. So, right. like, it's it, he's clearly like a deeply disturbed individual. Yeah. Which yeah. you know, if if you're like, he, it's not like he's a um, some sort of like patriot man who's just out righting the wrongs of the world because he loves America. He's he's like a guy who has gone through this like horrendous life of trauma and deals with deals with that by i mean he gets interviewed by a psychologist who literally who like says kind of this sort of like oh he's sublimating his views about his mother by punching criminals or whatever right right and if you were alive today he would definitely be deep into QAnon. yeah yeah i mean there is a um he he's a frequent fan of and the editors and writer of it appear of like this right-wing crank newspaper which is one of the excerpts in the back of right. Of the issues. Which is like the, the equivalent of like Alex Jones show or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Wa Watchmen is good. You know, Rorschach is, a, is like an amazing like character, like the characterization of it, you know, and he does all the world building with all the, you know, little technology. Um, And reading it again, I really, there's a lot of details that, that I think reading it the last time I probably read it kind of fast. And like the world building that goes into it is actually very interesting with all like the electronic cars, the electric cars and like the steamships and stuff. Um, so there's a lot of that, like those, like it's just dense with details, right? And and he always builds like these chains where you'll often have a comment that applies to like two or three narratives, like a layered narrative. So it's all very dense and complicated. And, you know, Alan Moore is a very smart guy and Dave Gibbons, like the character designs and Night Owl and everyone is all is all very top notch. And that's that's kind of I think a lot of people would agree with that, right? So we're not breaking any new ground on that. I would say if you have managed to go through life without ever having read it, you certainly should read it. It's not overrated or any anything like that. Um, kind of the thing I wanted to talk about that I thought was interesting, though, that I feel like, and again, this is from reading Doomsday Clock that led me down this train of thought, is there's this like reaction against Watchmen, I feel like, amongst like comic book fans or comic book people, um, because they think that Watchmen is like, Alan Moore saying that superheroes are stupid or something. Do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Well, I believe there was a quote by Dan DiDio or Jeff Johns or some DC Comics bigwig who they were basically saying, or they were saying like Dr. Ment, the reason why all these comic books had gotten dark and gritty in recent years with was because Dr. Manhattan was like messing with them and basically kind of like pointing the finger at Watchmen by proxy and saying, like, this is something that we need to react against, sort of. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a trend. I remember reading a super, there's a Superman comic where the villain is like a, uh, a cynical chain-smoking um, British antihero who is, like, trying to mess with Superman. And at the end, Superman gets all mad and says something about, like, how do you like being deconstructed or something? This is, like, this is like an idea, right? Like, that Watchmen had a negative influence. And there's this kind of reaction against it. 
of people being like, don't listen to the cool kids. Superheroes are actually uh, hunky-dory, and it's okay to love them, and, and uh, you know, and superheroes are actually good. And everyone, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that definitely was a thing, and sort of like the, you know, instead of deconstructing, it's like re- reconstructing them to, like, you know, instead of making them more complicated and angsty and weird, like, you know, doing an all-star Superman kind of thing, where it's very silver agey and like back to the good old days. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think is interesting, and this is kind of my, you know, is this the my, take? my take, this is kind of my take, uh, is that Watchmen really isn't about superheroes at all. And that's what makes it so good. Right. Like it's not about superheroes and that's what okay. makes it good. Hit me with it, daddy. So science fiction, fantasy, you know, these types of like genre things and, and superheroes, I feel like a lot of superhero comics, I mean, we could just focus on superhero comics because Watchmen is a superhero comic and it's put out by DC. uh, So that's a fair comparison. But I think the point probably applies to a lot of genre fiction as a whole. You mean that it's metaphorical? Well, that, um, that there's a lot of things that are just like about themselves, like superhero comics that are just about superheroes. Sure. Right? Right. And they're like characters arguing over like what it means to be a hero or something or like finding reserves inside yourself to stand up to adversity and ultimately if something is just about superheroes this is a little bit of a spoiler but superheroes aren't real so then it's not really about anything uh and watchmen is not really about superheroes it's like an existential story like the main theme is people searching for meaning in like a hostile world which is not like even like subtle about. It. I mean, like characters literally have conversations about that. Um, so it's it's I see see it really as like an existential story about like violent people in like a hostile world, and I think that's what makes it good. Is it's not really about superheroes. It's like a science fiction story with strong characterization and themes of like existentialism that happens to take place in a world of superheroes. You okay. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's what makes it really good is that it's not like quote unquote about superheroes but like that gets lost because it has this weird like cultural this weird like cultural power and i think a lot of people read it as like a thing about superheroes um and i was thinking about this because like i was thinking that this basic story of watchmen would really work uh you could have it be about like detective agency or like secret agents you know or like spies or something like the the fact that the people in it are superheroes really doesn't even play like a large part um, in in the plot. It's a lot of it's in like the backstory that all happened before the thing even starts. Like think about it. Like, if all the characters in it instead of used used to be superheroes, they used to be like spies or something. Basically, the story still works, right? Because it starts with him with Rorschach investigating a murder that leads him into a conspiracy, and then at the end, there's he encounters like this supernatural force. And Adrian Veet is like this mastermind of like this criminal empire or whatever. Like the story is just like a science fiction story. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that's that. That's what I was thinking of. Like Watchmen isn't about superheroes, and people forget that, and it turns into this whole like weird thing, um, because the characters in it are all just like a lot of them are just him doing like takes on like previously existing DC characters. So there's like really nothing inherent to any of the concepts that would set it apart. And when, like, these, um, you know, like, the before Watchmen or, like, 
these like sequels like Doomsday Clock is responding to some kind of critique they think that Alan Moore is making about superheroes and like the actual stuff in there, like the meta commentary about superheroes would maybe be like, would maybe make the top five list of important components that make the story work. I mean, you're looking, I would say like the characterization, the thematic stuff, like the world building um, would all come way before any of like the commentary about, you know, cause he does talk a little about superheroes are like repressed perverts and stuff. Um, I mean, there is, yeah, there is some commentary about superheroes in it. I mean, that's not imaginary. Like, that's that's in there. I mean, like, Dan and Lori getting it on with their costumes on and then being like, you know what? The costumes did make it better. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. that's a pretty clear, like, commentary on superheroes being, like, repressed, you know, perverts or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm saying that, I think that's ranks below like several other things of what actually makes it good yeah you know what i mean yeah so that's that's kind of my, my take and that's kind of what i was thinking about when i was reading it again is that it's really not about superheroes at all and people get really caught up in like the superheroes and the costumes and i think a lot of like ink is spilled trying to like figure out what alan moore's opinion on superheroes are i think it's i really see it as like an existential story like i think that's what makes it interesting it's a it's a guy rorschach is like a detective who investigates a murder and finds like the super secret dark truth behind everything and then gets killed by God because he threatens to like reveal the truth to everyone, you know? So you really are into this uh, Rorschach character. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating characterization and like any superhero character, like the vigilante, like the violent vigilante guy is like a pretty common trope, Right. And somehow he just does it in a way that I feels more like real because he. I don't know if I don't think Rorschach ever actually is racist, but like he's probably racist. I don't remember, but probably I can't recall exactly all. Of yeah, things. but I mean, there's also but, there are other characters in here as well, like Dan and Lori and John are all also take up a lot of space. So certainly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, not like it's the Rorschach story, the story of Rorschach. Well, he, when Rorschach. He is the he is the first character. I mean, he's, he's, he, I think he is like really the kind of the protagonist of it in a lot of ways. You do see him in the third panel, but you don't know it's him at the time. But he's also the first like named character other than the police detectives. I mean, yeah, like but... his, his investigation of comedian is what drives the story forward because then he goes to talk to Dan and Dr. Manhattan and Lori. You do see the comedian like as a character before you see him. I guess, like, as he's dying. Yeah. But yes, I mean, the, Rorschach's investigation of the comedian's death is interesting, but, I mean, is what starts, what kicks off the plot, so to speak. But, yeah, you know, it's not just, like, the story of Rorschach. Right. Like, John's yeah, story is, I think, just as, if not more interesting, because he is also a guy who is searching for a meaning of some sort in some way because he essentially becomes like omnipotent and even though he does have some like attachments to the world in the sense that he in his way does seem to actually have feelings for Laurie on some level but he doesn't like understand how to interact with you know the human race anymore right 
No, I, I mean, I'm not saying like all the other characters are, or you could throw them out or something, but I would also point out too that tying back to my original theme of not really being about superheroes at all is Dr. Manhattan really isn't a superhero in, in the story. He's just a guy with superpowers. Well, he does. I mean, he is in the Crime Busters briefly. Right. But that's all that's all just like the kind of background material um, that he fills you in on as it goes along. So, I mean, you, you can disagree with my with my take. That's my take. I feel like that um, a lot of people miss the forest for the trees when talking about Watchmen and like get caught up in the the, um, you know, because he is doing a thing with like the Golden Age heroes like Hollis Mason is like the Golden Age Night Owl, who kind of corresponds to the Golden Age Blue Beetle. Um, and, and Dan is like this sort of like the Silver Age Night Owl, who sort of corresponds to the Ted Cord um, Blue Beetle. But I feel like all that is just like window dressing, really. And I think the fact that it's not about superheroes at its core and the superheroes are just like the flavor is is what makes it so good. Because ultimately, like I was saying, um, I think there's a lot of superhero comics that are just about superheroes and ultimately makes it feel kind of shallow. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't disagree with what you're saying, but, um, you know, it, Watchmen is clearly a superhero comic book that has things to say about superheroes in general, just as it has things to say about lots of other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, rereading it now, it struck me, like, I don't know that it would have struck me rereading it originally, just how much of, like, a right-wing crank uh, Rorschach is. Yeah. He's because like... he, he's always like, the communists are up to something. Yeah. Or, like, like people cheat on welfare must... Or he says something, Adrian, possible homosexual, must investigate further. Yeah. He's always going on about stuff like that. Right. So, which I think, you know, you could uh, read into it the degree to which, you know, superhero, like, costumed vigilantes are, like, reactionary forces. Or, you know, like, Dan is just, like, a bored, like, middle-aged guy who likes to tinker with gadgets. I don't know. I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying. That's probably true, but yeah, there is a critique of the superhero genre in there as well. Yeah, right. There, there is. I'm, I'm uh, but if you imagine Watchmen without um, a bunch of the other stuff and just have the critique about superheroes being repressed perverts, I don't think you'd be left with much. That's why I say it's kind of just kind of like the flavor in a lot of ways. Which is your favorite? Night Owl alternate costume. Um, you know, it would have been kind of awesome if he busted out the exoskeleton at the end, I guess. Yeah. If we're just going to be like nerds about it, for sure. Um, when Lori is in the ship, I'm trying to find it. She like pulls there's like a There's like an underwater suit. and like Yeah, he has an underwater suit. And of course, you see him in his like Arctic suit. Right. I find it hilarious because it's literally like how they used to have like different Batman figures that would be like, this one's parachute Batman and this one's, you know, Arctic Batman. Yeah. Did they, would they have had those in 1986? I mean, I suppose, um, like if it's based on, I mean, he's ostensibly, see, this is me get granular on some nerd stuff. Cause if he's based, like, was there a big trend of everyone having alternate costumes? I'm trying to think back to like, Pre night, pre like early eighties, seventies comics. Like I can't really think of Batman having like alternate costumes like that for different environments. I know Iron Man does. 
I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Was there any good details that you noticed that you'd never really noticed before? Because there's the, one of the things I really was trying to watch for when I was reading it this time is the fact that it's just like dense with details. I actually own um, the Absolute Edition, which I don't really read regularly because it's out of print and it, I don't know, it costs like $60 or something. But it's kind of awesome to have it because all the panels are like blown up, which is kind of fun just to like see all of the details on like the increased page size. Yeah, there. Well, yeah, and it's there are a lot of details in here, which is kind of funny because they're one of the after issue text pieces is about this missing comic book writer who, of course, shows up later as having been kidnapped by Adrian Veet. But the it show it talks about how the comic book writer had a falling out with the artist because of his insanely detailed panel descriptions. Yeah, uh, and his uh, egotistical attitude, which seems to be Alan Moore both poking fun at himself and maybe kind of at like Stan Lee. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if there are any specific details, but you know, watch, of course, reading it from the beginning there, uh, you do do when you realize that, you know, when you know that that's what it's doing, of course you catch all of the small details that they layer in like Hollis Mason's, the sign like in front of his shop that says like we fix obsolete you know trucks or whatever for these obsolete hero characters yeah uh, and of course you can spot Rorschach all over the place right with his uh the end is nice sign of course when you're reading it for the first time you don't know that that's who that is right and he's always has like the sugar cubes that he steals from Dan yeah he's always like eating everywhere and leaving the wrappers behind Right, because the cop notices that when he's, like, talking to Dan. Yeah, that he has, like, the catering pack of sugar cubes that you must buy wholesale from some, from somewhere. One detail that I noticed... So, reading it again, actually, here's here's a reaction that I had towards the end. Um, you, you have... And again, this is interesting coming from Alan Moore, who's, like, this big left-wing, uh, like, libertarian socialist anarchist guy, that at the end you have Adrian Beat, who's, like, who's this liberal humanitarian who's like, if you read the text pieces, he's like cracking jokes about Nixon. And, you know, he's like against the Vietnam War or something. But of course, he's actually this like heinous mass murderer. Oh, then, is this going to be the Ted Cruz take? Where you're like, Ozymandias is, is what liberals are really like. Well, no, I was saying it was just interesting that Alan Moore chooses to make that the villain. And then Rorschach is like the right-wing... Uh, lunatic with sort of detestable views on everything who then at the very end you're like yeah Rorschach you stick it to them yeah it's, it's, mean, a, it's a weird like he takes you on that journey it, it takes a very skilled writer to like make that work because at the end you're like yes Rorschach screw Adrian uh even though if you were to meet Rorschach in real life it would you would like run away because he's like an awful person and he smells bad all the time or whatever um but he, he takes you on that journey and at the end you're like yeah Rorschach you stick it to Adrian I mean, he does have a dogged determination that it is admirable. The one detail I noticed in the text piece is that um, Adrian basically has like three slaves, I guess, that live with him on, the, I don't know if you caught this, at his Antarctic base. You, you remember those three guys? Yeah, uh, like, they're uh, refugees from Vietnam. Who can't leave his base because they're they're in legal limbo. Oh, right. It mentions that in the text. So he has like these three Vietnamese people who like live in his fortress. Uh, who are his servants who can never leave. And I was like, those are like basically his slaves or something. 
it's it's just weird that Adrian is like he's a he's a good villain, I, I guess, because he's yeah, like he basically owns slaves at his Antarctic base, um, as he's like plotting the death of millions of people while giving charity benefit concerts. Well, as a um, you know, as a murder mystery, it basically gives you the villain is the last person that you would expect because he's like the most upright goody goody of all of the uh, former heroes. Right. Right. And like comedian is like this awful person, but it's not him because he's the he's the victim of the murder. There's a lot of really good dramatic irony, I guess, would be the way to sum up a lot of that. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, do you like that the uh, Tarkovsky reference at the end? Where there's like uh, a sign for you... Tarkovsky movies. I did not. Oh, I suppose because in the future. So after On page Adrian's thing. 31. Yes, it's it's. Post Squid, there's a sign. Um, the theater is called, seems to be called New Utopia, and the two movies, Tarkovsky movies, they're playing are The Sacrifice, which is about someone making a deal to try and save the world from nuclear Armageddon. Okay. And, and Nostalgia, which right. is the name of Adrian Veidt's uh, perfume. And yeah. I guess I guess the name of his cosmetics line, right. and is also the name of our Tarkovsky movie, whose story I'm not sure quite fits in there, but is also kind of about uh, trying to save the world in some sense. Yeah, yeah. See, I didn't even notice that. That's like all those details. Um, I I did get a little. This might be this might be too much of a hot take, but I did I I kind of chuckled to myself thinking of like Elon Musk as Adrian uh, as like the guy whose whole shtick is that he's like a super genius who wants to live on the live on some remote location because you could substitute Antarctica for Mars. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's maybe giving Elon Musk a little too much credit because like yeah. Adrian Veidt doesn't like spend his free time like, you know, posting stupid memes on Twitter. It, it's interesting how much content there is in there. And again, this is something I kind of picked up on more having read it, read it again of how Adrian's like business empire and he like micromanages things for a um, the change in atmosphere after the squid attack. So not right. only is he doing the squid attack to quote unquote save the world, but he's also intentionally setting up his business empire to profit off of it, which I suppose in his mind, he uses his money for good. So that's like for the net gain or something. Well, he says that he started, that he got into business in order to finance his plan to save the world. Is at least the uh, uh, what he tells Dan and Lori and our friend Walter Kovacs. Yeah, yeah. One of the other good um, dramatic ironies too is how the New Frontiersman, which is the the like right wing tabloid uh, that talks approvingly of the KKK. Um, accuses the guy from Nova Express of being part of a conspiracy to discredit Dr. Manhattan and drive him away from Earth. Which actually ends up being true. Which actually ends up being true. I think those are like the fun, like dramatic ironies that you that you probably don't pick up on it when you read it the first time. Like Rorschach is the guy who's who's paranoid. But in this one case, he's actually right. Or the fact that um, Dr. Manhattan is like, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like, blue he is blue he's like god he's i mean he's omnipotent and the only time like the only thing he does in the story when you think about it at the end he literally like none of the characters really do anything the only thing he does is kill roshak at the end really 
Yeah, it's like a, I mean, it's like a dramatic irony of like this omnipotent character who ultimately doesn't really accomplish anything. I mean, none of them really accomplish anything, but like it, for the fact that he could literally do anything, he kind of just like um, wanders through the story and then at the end blows up Rorschach. Well, as V tells them, like what they've successfully managed to do is stop is is not stop his plan. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he does successfully engineer John out of the way. But, you know, John, of course, does change in the story because he comes to understand the miracle of human existence. Right. He changes. That's I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is he he changes, but he doesn't come back in time to actually stop it from happening. Right. Yeah, I mean, there is no that's, of course, part of the inversion of the superhero genre and really of all of like most popular, you know, culture, like genre storytelling in general is the heroes actually don't make the last second save, even though they've successfully unraveled the mystery, Roshak and Dan have, uh, or I should say Walter and Dan, if to be fair to his psychologist, that's how he would say it, have successfully unraveled the mystery, but they don't actually save the day the supervillain carries out his plan and then gets away with it. If Watchmen came out today, I would say there would also be immediately a subreddit someone would start called Adrian Did Nothing Wrong, um, which I guess we, we were spared that because it came out in the 80s. I imagine there were probably people, though I don't know, it's it's interesting because like I feel like by making him like an overt liberal do-gooder, it kind of like makes him extra like unpalatable because he seems so hypocritical yeah because his his hypocrisy is so you know blatant and he's so incredibly like full of himself yeah he like patronizes dan uh about like your your i said something like your schoolboy heroics are no longer necessary and he says like grow up dan after he's just killed millions of people and you're like oh this guy yeah he's very by the end he's very like punchable yeah, I mean, and Rorschach, like, uh, keeps attacking him, and Dan also attacks him right at the beginning, and Adrian, like, easily, like, kicks the snot out of both of them. Yeah. And Rorschach keeps telling him to send away his cat so that they can fight again. Yeah, and, like, I, it also kind of cracks me up. One of the little moments that kind of cracks me up is when he's explaining his evil plan, and Dan is like, that's just nonsense, you didn't really do that. And Rorschach is like, no, it's true. Like, he can tell. Like his 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 craziness gives him some kind of weird insight. Like he like picks up that that uh, Adrian is telling the truth a lot faster than Dan does. Yeah, I guess Dan, as closer to being a normal person, is naturally like, that's a ridiculous plan that doesn't make any sense. And Rorschach's like, no, it makes perfect sense. And of course, the uh, the the concert playing at the end is a band called Pale Horse. The opening for them is a band called Crystal Knocked. Yeah, and one of the other little touches that you gotta love too is the news vendor and the little and the kid who's always reading comic books, holding each other as they die from yeah. the squid attack. And they 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 discover right at the end that they're both named Bernard. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that people lose track of in Watchmen because it has this weird. Uh, like it's this weird like cultural thing as the the thing about how superheroes are all perverts and violence is cool and like darkness and, and blood and grime and there's a there's a very hu- human 
element to it. I mean, by the end of the story, you've taken this journey and there is a lot of death and grime and blood, but ultimately it's a very redeeming story. And somehow people like forget that, like they forget the ending or whatever. When, when yeah. John is smiles at Dan and Lori together and they, they go on to, as far as we can see, it doesn't give you a lot of postscript, but you know, like something like a happy functional life and, and John leaves and he's happy. He's well, like and he's Lori, grown as a person, even though he's he's been omniscient the whole story, but he actually grows, right? Uh, so it's actually very reaffirming. There's a very there's a there's a strong like sense of humanity, like a humanitarian feeling in the ending, um, which Lori, is partially um, reconciles I, with her mom, right? Yeah, for sure. And and then uh, it's partially ironic because the world feels like that, but the world doesn't know it's a lie. But the characters themselves have grown, and they they know the truth, but they've still grown. But somehow people forget all that and they just focus on, you know, the 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 pervert, the perversion and the and the violence and whatever. And there really isn't that much fighting in it either. Like it's it's not really that violent. It's just there are moments where it's like he, he kind of puts it in your face. But I would say for story purposes, it probably makes sense. I mean, like it's not gratuitous, I guess. It's definitely not like an action comic book. Like right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't read it for the action. Yeah. So it sounds like that really what you're out here is that people need to actually understand or read Watchmen for what it is and stop, you know, discussing it in these ways that aren't actually reflecting of the actual content of it. Right. Like Alan Moore did not sit down as a a grumpy person saying, ho, 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 I'm going to write a thing about superheroes are stupid. Well, of course, after shortly after working ending his work with dc comics he went on to write the america's best comics line which are very intentionally the exact thing that we are talking about of the undeconstructed heroics that are like silver age throwbacky so clearly it's not like alan moore has a burning hatred in his heart for the superhero genre because he when left to his own devices like went back to that well for some like silver age daring do yeah and that's i feel like that's kind of a, some people's takeaway and the other takeaway is that it's just cool because it's filled with violence or something or that you know it's it's like when uh when a new movie comes out in hollywood and then the the studio executives want to copy whatever element of it is the most easy to copy right like let's make you know uh, a successful world war ii movie comes out and it makes a bunch of money and the lesson they take is well everyone must love world war ii movies without looking at what actually makes it successful and i and i think that's kind of the trap that that watchman fell into just because it was so successful and because um the sprightly young alan moore and you know dave gibbons and, and higgins did such a good job and then everybody wants to copy the superficial elements or really just lose the forest for the trees and it, it is it is like a legitimately good thing. And I think it's, you know, it's um, the things that are good about it are not just because it's about how superheroes are violent perverts or whatever. Yeah, you definitely do see some commentary regarding Watchmen as if the novel thing about it was that it's like an R-rated superhero comic when that's really like the least interesting thing about it. And it's not even like, are there any like F-words or anything in it? Like, I feel like it's actually... Oh, yeah, there are things coming out from Image now, I'm sure, that are, like, way, way, way more graphic. There's, I think, some some nudity, maybe. There might... I don't think there are any... I don't think there are any, like... Uh, like, you could very easily make, make it PG-13, to be honest. I mean, my, minus the squid attack, but... 
the squid attack really pushes it over the edge, but that's in like the twelfth issue. Up to that, I mean, it's a lot of there's a lot of scenes of like people talking to each other. Yeah, it's very talky, which is very much in Alan Moore's wheelhouse because he um, is a writer who likes to write. Yeah, so I guess that's my that's my takeaway is that uh, things things should be about things and not just about themselves. And Watchmen is uh, superheroes, yes, but also a existentialist story of a deranged detective discovering the secret truth behind the universe and then having to be obliterated uh, by God. Which makes it cool because that's like you, a cool that's like a cool elevator pitch. Do you ever feel like that Alan Moore is putting it on a little thick? With, by laying in some of these like references here, you know, I was thinking of that while reading it, and I have seen there there is a school of thought that the tales of the black freighter stuff uh, and some of the other stuff really isn't necessary, and I don't think it hurts it. You could, if you were to hold a gun to my head, I would admit you could plausibly take some of that stuff out, and I don't think it would taking it out probably wouldn't hurt it either. I mean, I think it's just like flavor. Although it's interesting, too, because when you, you talk about the Tales of the Black Freighter stuff, which is written by the disappeared writer who gets hired by Adrian, and the kid is reading the reprint of it, um, and Adrian actually mentions that he has a vision of swimming towards something. Yes. So Adrian must have, and then you're thinking, okay, so does Adrian must have read the comic to learn about the writer, to abduct the writer, to make the squid monster. And him having read the comic, it puts it in his mind, and then he, like, subconsciously, like, his subconscious mind is pulling it back to his forefront. Like I said, I think that Alan Moore guy is a clever young fellow, and I, I bet he has a prosperous career ahead of him. Well, I guess that was an episode of the Army of Crime podcast. Once you're done listening to this, please smash that subscribe button. You can find us on the internet at armyofcrime.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at armyofcrime. And Dustin is on Twitter at Dustin4444. Uh, you can, you can, you can smash find that us and tell us. Button, you can smash the subscribe smash button. Subscribe um, buttons. Give every, I'll give, give, give us five stars just because. Because why not? Why not? Everyone should have five stars, you know. Because life is a thermodynamic miracle. Life is a thermodynamic miracle. Uh, all, the satellites will, five stars. This, one day the satellites will blink their glass eyes at us and we will all be dead. So we might as well just give everything a five-star review. So true. What was I saying to us?